All right, folks, before we get to the main thing, I want to let you know that this episode of Oil & Gas Upstream is made possible by our good friends at Technip FMC. Now, you probably know them for their subsea business, but did you know that Technip FMC is doing fantastic things for the industry at the surface? The latest innovation is called Emission. And Emission will let you monitor and control vapor pressure in real time. To learn more, visit technipfmc.com. Oil and gas production is the union of natural systems with advanced science and complex engineering. Smart people across the globe create this remarkable place we call Upstream, and each day brings a new challenge. This is the Oil and Gas Upstream podcast, where we look at how these systems come together and learn from the people who make it happen. Welcome to Oil and Gas Upstream. I'm Elena Melkert, your host. Some of you know me as the former director for the Oil and Gas Upstream Research Program at the U.S. Department of Energy. I retired from the DOE about a year ago and founded a small consultancy and became a podcast host. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to thank Technip FMC for sponsoring this podcast. And I want to ask you to do me a big favor by answering a one-question survey. It takes about 10 seconds, and the link is in the show notes. In return, we will happily send you some stickers for your laptop or your hard hat or your parents. And now I'd like to introduce today's guest, Karen Olson of Olson Turner Enterprises, LLC. Hi, Karen. Thanks for being with us Hi, today. Hi, Elena. Thank you so much for having me here today. Oh, absolutely. I've been looking at your bio and it's such a, uh, you have such a, a wonderful career. We'll, we'll get into that and you can tell us all about uh, the contributions we're making for which we are very grateful, um, all the contributions that you've been making. Uh, Karen Olson is a Senior Completions Advisor for Well Data Labs, Inc. And previously, Karen was the Technology Director for Southwest Energy Company. Karen has been a completions and reservoir engineer for almost 40 years, starting her career as a frac engineer for the Western Company of North America. She has also worked at Holditch and Associates, Mobile, and BP, working deep water Gulf of Mexico, onshore unconventionals and conventionals, and the North Sea. And Karen has been a very active with SPE and is currently the SPE Completions Technical Director. Karen holds a BS degree in petroleum engineering from LSU and a master's degree in petroleum engineering from Texas A&M. She's been honored as a distinguished alumni graduate in petroleum engineering from Texas A&M and currently serves on the Texas A&M Petroleum Engineering Department Industry Advisory Board and the Society of Petroleum Engineers Board of Directors. Karen, what a career. Thank you. Welcome again. Welcome again. Thank you so much. Oh, you much. bet. I'm, I'm excited to be here. A little nervous, right? But yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, this is just a good conversation yeah. between colleagues. So, so just, you know, just relax. Um, basically, um, you have your own consultancy and you work with uh, Well Data Labs. Tell us about, tell us about the two organizations. Yeah. So I started my own consultancy firm, um, quite honestly, right around uh, COVID when everything had the shutdown. And um, luckily, I um, met this company, Well Data Labs, which was a, a great company. They're based out of Denver. And I had used them when I was at Southwestern Energy. Um, 
they have two two main things that they offer. One is a like a cloud-based uh, completions data app, where I would say half of the U.S. frac uh, jobs get placed up into this um, cloud-based completion app. So you know, every day there's thousands of frac jobs going on across the U.S. and it's a lot of data to be stored somewhere. And if you want to find it and use it and do, say, um, you know, AI on it or, you know, data analysis, it's good to have it in a, a completion app that you can uh, do, you know, broad-based analysis on what's what, what the trends are. So that's one thing that uh, Well Data Labs offers. The other thing that I spend a lot of time with, uh, with them is... Um, it's we call it SWPM or, or sealed wellbore pressure monitoring, and um, this is a technology that Devon Energy patented uh, just a couple of years ago. And they noticed Devon noticed when they were doing some fiber optic uh, wells, and these were wells horizontal wells where they would strap a fiber optic cable along the horizontal lateral section in an offset well, so they weren't fracking that well. They just had fiber in it, and they were fracking an offset well, and they could see the interaction when a frac would come in contact with that fiber well. And at the same time, they noticed they had a surface pressure gauge on it that they saw a pressure response at the, that same point in time when that hydraulic fracture would come in contact with that um, lateral, horizontal lateral. Um, and so they, they patented the idea or the technology of See, when you see that pressure response, that the, you have a fracture that's come in contact with that wellbore. And the idea is that we take into account, well, how much fluid did it take to get there? So when you started that frac job, did it take 100 barrels or 6,000 barrels? And, you know, trying to optimize these completions because we use a, we use a lot of water in our frac jobs. Um, to make them more efficient, you want to have... Um, each cluster, each perforation take fluid, and so you're going to want a larger amount of fluid coming before you see that come in contact with that offset wellbore. Versus if it's a small volume, say it's that 100 barrels, that means you could just have one perforation, sort of like a runaway frack, just zoom right across, and now you don't have a very well uh, completed wellbore along the lateral versus you'd want thousands of barrels before you see that come in contact. So I, I spend a lot of time analyzing that these days with uh, myself and uh, my, my friend and counterpart, uh, Mary Van Domlin, and we're the two senior completion advisors for the company. And I think between us, we have about 80 years of experience that we offer for them, <laughs> even though I'm only 39 is what I tell people. <laughs> That's right, I'm with you. I'm, I'm actually 32. My dad would always say he was 32 <laughs> at one time. Um, he, my nephew asked, you know, my dad, how, Grandpa, how old are you? And he says, 32. And he says, wow, you're younger than my mom. <laughs> well, I used to say I was 29, but, you know, when you have a daughter that turns 30, you can't say that any longer. <laughs> <gasps> yeah, I know. Some some things yeah. you just can't change. But, but then again, we wouldn't right. want to change anything. Great, great. Well, so how did you get involved in the um, oil and mm. gas business? Why did you choose petroleum engineering as your as your career path? I mean, I'm sure when you were a little girl, you didn't think I'm going to go and grow up and be a petroleum engineer. So something got your attention. Huh? Um, it was it was quite honestly it was advice from my father. So growing up, um, 
I was I was very good in math. I loved math, and um, I was applying to different universities. And my dad asked me what I was going to major in. And you know, this was like the late seventies at the time. And you know, I told my dad, I said, "Oh, dad, I'm going to major in math." And he goes, "Oh, okay." He goes, well, just make sure whatever you major in will support your spending habits. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, I guess I, at the time I took for granted, you know, what my parents offered me. You know, the house that we lived in and the lifestyle that we had. And, um, you know, we, I went to high school, um, junior high and high school in Jackson, Mississippi. But, you know, we lived in a nice neighborhood. You know, we went, you know, got to go to dinner or occasionally and... But anyway, the light bulb went off in my head and I realized, oh, this lifestyle that I had was really their lifestyle and that I was going to have to create my own lifestyle. And so back then, of course, we didn't have computers. We, you know, we had the catalogs from the universities. And so I just started flipping through the catalogs saying, well, maybe I'll be, um, I, I said, oh, I'll be an engineer. And I just flipped through. And of course, uh, petroleum engineering was was hot at that point because of the oil embargo had taken place earlier in the 70s. And so we went through the oil crisis and I sort of thought, I said, well, I, I could do that and maybe I can make a difference on it. And um, so I applied and um, I had we had friends from Louisiana and I saw the LSU campus, and I thought it was a beautiful campus, which it still is to this day. And I actually tried out for Tiger Band. Um, not many people knew it, but know it. But um, yeah, so I made Tiger Band. So I was in the LSU marching band. Is that the, yeah, marching, the marching band, band. for LSU? Yeah. yeah, I played piccolo okay. in the marching band. And um, funny enough, oh my. my oldest daughter went to LSU, got a degree in mechanical engineering. She played trumpet in the LSU marching band. And then my youngest daughter, she went to Texas A&M and got a degree in petroleum engineering, and she was on the equestrian team. So we, we grew up, um, or my daughters uh, grew up, we had, we had horses and uh, did horse shows and all that, too. Excellent. Kept them busy, oh, yeah. out of trouble. Yeah. So. Good. Oh, that's exciting. That's exciting. So, um, so school, and then after school, you went right to work for, well, what was your first? Yeah, company? so the first company I worked for, um, when I graduated from LSU, of course, at that point, oil prices were plummeting. Uh, you know, we seem to have this cyclical industry that we um, have to live in. And um, so at the time, I had a job offer with the Western Company of North America. That was Eddie Childs. I don't know if people remember Eddie. He was a hoot. He used to, you know, do radio um, advertisement with statements like, if you don't have an oil well, get one. And, well, I mean, he was, <laughs> he was hilarious. So, yeah, so it was myself and Judy Trimble, uh, both LSU graduates, and we were the first female engineers to work for the Western Company. And um, I worked for them for two years, um, out on location driving trucks to location, rigging up iron, throwing sacks. And I told myself, this isn't what I want to do the rest of my life. <laughs> and um, luckily, right. um, the Western Company uh, put me in the Bryan College Station um, district. And so Texas A&M was just right there. And so I just went over to the um, A&M campus one day, and I met uh, Dr. John Lee, and I just told him I wanted to go to graduate school. 
And he said, okay, we'd love to have you. And I said, well, I need a job. I said, I can't ask my parents to support me any longer, you know. And he goes, oh, you can just work at our consulting firm, you know, Holdage and Associates. Oh, my gosh, Steve Holdage. Steve Holdage, right? Yeah. And so I was so lucky to to work with uh, Steve and, and Dr. Lee. Um, yeah, I didn't realize how lucky I was back back in the day, but I've, I've over the years... And, you know, being friends with them, you know, for the last almost 40 years has been, you know, been excellent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Big contributions there. And you were probably part of their contributions as well, right? Yeah, as so my, um, the- funny enough, my uh, master's um, research was on the Appalachia Basin, the Devonian Shale. We call it the Marcellus these days. And um, I was trying to come up with what was going to be the optimum completion. And I was reviewing. Uh, the DOE had done a big research project. I don't know if you remember that in the um, in the 70s, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I wasn't there yet. I didn't come until like 85. And then I didn't come to headquarters for research until 89. But I was completely aware of all of that work in the Devonian show. Big, big projects. Big and um, so I was I was working on my master's in 86. And so what I did was I went back and I analyzed all the data that was collected. And I identified, well, what what did we not learn? What are the where are the gaps? What are we still missing? And so my, um, I proposed additional research to be done to fill in those gaps. And, um, and so it got submitted at the time, uh, the Gas Research Institute's GRI. And I believe... Uh, right. Now no, it's, it's GTI. GTI. Yes. So I, um, I, right. so uh, Holage and Associates submitted my um, thesis as a proposal to GRI, which is GTI now, um, to do more research, and I think they got like another a four or five million dollars in research money, and I got my degree, <laughs> I got my piece of paper, and I um, accepted a job right. with Mobile, and so then I went off to yeah. um, Midland to work for Mobile, and then it's such a small oil field. Uh, Joe Joe Franz, who's up work, he lives up in Pittsburgh. Um, Steve um, hired Joe to implement my research project. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! I have a Joe story, so okay. I'll tell you. And, um, and so, and I didn't realize it because I just, you know, took off and I worked out in Midland for mobile for almost ten years, and I didn't realize Joe um, implemented the research that I recommended at the time until about twenty years later. You know, when we you know reconnected, um, yeah, through um, SPE, and I was working the Marcellus for uh, Southwestern Energy, and Joe was. Um, working for, uh, I should remember, he was work, He was a director of technology as well for another Appalachia Basin company, and I was the director of technology. So he was with range the Range Resources? resources yes, and so, then, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So small oil field. So a small, small world. Absolutely. The oil business is small business, even though it's worldwide. So let's go back to the Devonian Shale, Marcellus work that you did. So... Um, my recollection about that early work was about characterizing natural fracture systems. 
Is that mm-hmm. what you were talking about? And you looked at what more did we need to know? Did we need to understand about naturally fractured yeah, systems? So- is that, that was, the direction? That was part of the direction, and some of it was just simple fundamentals of um, like, well, how high are these are these fractures staying contained in the Devonian, or are they growing? You know, when we were, um, I guess the research was in uh, West Virginia area, and I think Kentucky too. Um, but yeah, I was trying to understand natural fractures. What do the fractures really look like? Which you know, that's something that we're still trying to understand today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one thing that I share with people that they don't realize, I mean, this wasn't anything that I was responsible for, because uh, this happened uh, before I got there in a leadership position, but the the understandings we have now about fractures, hydraulic fractures, uh, and the processes, uh, including horizontal drilling, came from the early investments by taxpayer dollars through the Department of Energy to get all that understanding that ultimately led us to the energy independence that we had uh, when the when the uh, uh, unconventionals were starting to be fully developed. And so um, even though we still don't know a lot, a lot of what we yeah. do know comes from those kinds of investments. And so you were there. You were part of those research questions that um, needed to be explored in order for us yes. to understand that. So so we did mention Joe Franz. I do know Joe Franz very well, and I'm going to have to invite him to the yeah. show and interview him, especially now that we're talking all about him. But my first um, engagement in the oil and gas sector was with Getty Oil Company. I worked uh, at in Bake outside of Bakersfield on the west side on the Diatomite pilot project, and then I moved into um, production operations on the west side. Joe was an engineer there uh, for Getty Oil Company, uh, and um, in in production production engineer, and um, he lived around the corner from me, so we <laughs> carpooled to out to <laughs> out to. Uh, so let's see where where was it, it was Honolulu Drive. <laughs> for Getty Oil Company on the west side there. And then uh, then later I, I got to work, for, I took a position with the Department of Energy as a production engineer, and so then the rest is history. But then, then we lost contact, and then recently through SPE uh, activities, maybe about, I don't know, I shouldn't say recently. It's been like maybe 15, 18 years yeah. now that we that we reconnected. And so, yeah, so Small World, I would definitely um, yeah, have, to have to reach out to, to Joe for sure. Have him on yeah, the he show. won the um, SPE yeah. um, Regional Completion Award just this last year for uh, for the Appalachia Basin region, oh. just to let you know. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Oh, great. I will definitely, I probably should have known that, but I didn't know that. So thanks for sharing that. Great. Okay. So um, you went to work for, I'm sorry, after um, Holditch, you Mobile. went to work for? Yeah. Mobile. Yeah. And what did you do um, there? Yeah. Again? So I started out in operations and then I wanted, I knew from, um, so working for a service company and I was fracking wells and then when I went to did my um, research, as we just talked about, I was focused in on hydraulic fracturing. And so when I went to work for mobile, I just wanted to frack every well I could touch. So that's <laughs> so I eventually ended up, you know, um, you know, doing completions, fracking, fracking wells, fracking old wells, new wells, any every well I looked at, I said, oh, this well needs a frack job on it. And and you know, nine times out of ten, you know, we made better wells. Um, I also, 
Um, had my two daughters while I lived in Midland. I got married, had two, two children, and um, I went into reservoir engineering. I call it during my baby years. It's a lot, a lot easier, you know, having children, you know, when you just go to the office every day versus going to the going out to the field. Um, so I, right. I you know, was a reservoir engineer for about six years and um, got transferred to New Orleans. Um, I told myself there was a, there was a deep water discovery. It was actually Thunder Horse. And, and Mobile oh. had a, a part interest in Thunder Horse at the time. And yeah. so it made me want, I was like, you know, I want to complete wells offshore too. That made me want to get offshore experience. So I transferred to New Orleans mm-hmm. and uh, with Mobile and, as a reservoir engineer and just, you know, said, well, why aren't we doing uh, fracks out in the Gulf of Mexico? And at the time, Mobile was just doing uh, gravel packs. Uh, Mobile had a technology, a patented technology of shunt tubes. I don't know if it is. So that they could get a good, um, you know, when typically offshore, the the rock is so permeable, it's like beach sand, right? And the oil just flows right. into the wellbore. But what usually happens is the sand comes with it. And so, you know, offshore, right. the main thing would, would back in the day was gravel packs, just like gravel packing a water well here in the you know, onshore mm-hmm. is. And uh, we would just pack the well with, you know, sand, bigger sand, so the small sand in the formation wouldn't flow up into the casing. Um, and so when I got there, I was like, well, let's, let's do what they were calling frack packs, which what we're currently still doing today in, um, offshore. It's interesting. So there was other companies doing frack packs. Mobile was sort of slow because of the shunt tube technology. And, um, but we started doing frack packs and making fantastic wells, um, offshore. And then, um, then I got asked to go back into completions um, and I got transferred to Norway with mobile. Oh, my goodness. In the, um, yeah. uh, stat oil. Took the whole family to took, Norway. Took the whole How family. exciting. Um, yeah, I guess my daughters were like four and six at the time. And we uh, moved to Norway, and I was seconded to um, stat oil, which is Equinor now. And they were doing the Osgard development. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the fields... S'more, s'more book, uh, they thought at the time needed to be hydraulically fractured. And they wanted some assistance with somebody that had you know, expertise in hydraulic fracturing. And, uh, but when I got... And we're still talking vertical these, wells, vertical. Uh, these were vertical, yeah, vertical wells. Um, and this is, you know, offshore. This is in the North Sea on the Norwegian side. And, um, but the pay is just so thick, thousands of feet thick. So it's really hard right. to do a horizontal well in at least that field when it's, you know, you know, a thousand to three thousand foot thick. Where do you put your lateral? Right. right. You know, in it. Right. Um, I ended up not working on that At field that needed to be hydraulic fractured. I ended up working on another field that was part of the unit called Midgard, which was an, it's an amazing field. Um, it's a six TCF gas field. So is the same wow. size as the Fayetteville shale is, which is covers a million acres wow. across Arkansas. And this was mm-hmm. a gas field with, you know, boulder-sized beach sand. <laughs> and we were making, we developed the wells 
completed the wells to produce 250 million standard cubic feet per day per well. Oh, Producing right. up seven wow. and five eighths casing was our tubing How size. Fun. Oh, seven. <laughs> that was our tubing wow. size. Was seven and five eighths was our tubing size. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And the interesting amazing. thing, and I don't think people think about this, but we developed a six TCF field in the North Sea with ten wells, and we'll, and they'll probably produce, <laughs> and then still producing today. And this was back still in, producing. Uh, early 2000, 19, 2000, 2001 time period. So over 20 years ago now. It's still producing today. But we that's 60 CF 10 wells in the Fayetteville Shale unconventional onshore U.S. Um, we, um, it took about 5,000 wells to develop a 60 CF yeah. field. Just sort of puts it in wow. perspective. Right. It absolutely yeah. does. Ten you know, wells versus micro, 5,000 you know, wells. Nano, mm -hmm. nano Darcy permeability. You know, it's tighter than your right. concrete, you know, pathways that we walk on uh, mm -hmm. in these unconventional shales mm -hmm. that we that we've figured out. Which you're right. It started with those DOE projects back in the 70s. We knew back in the mm -hmm. 70s and 80s that there was, you know. TCFs of gas just sitting there. It's just how to unlock it and how to unlock it economically. Right? Was the challenge. Right. right. Versus, you know, what you know, other countries like Norway can develop with just a few wells. Of course those wells over there at the time, right. one well was, you know, two hundred and fifty million dollars. And a Fayetteville yeah. a Fayetteville wow. well, at least at <laughs> you know, back in the day, was two million dollars. Right. So. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Well, you know, the government can afford to take on more risk than, you know, private investments. And so that's, you know, and of course, that's the value of public private partnerships for research with the government, you know, even the Department of Energy and and what we're doing now. Gosh, Karen, that, yeah. that is so exciting. Well, well, well keep going. Well, tell us, tell uh, us more. Know, it's this a great is, what you just great. talked about. It is a great partnership when the government partners with um, private companies to unlock um, these potential new resources. And the one that we're working on right now um, is, for example, is the geothermal, right? So um, uh, Utah, right, the right. Utah Forge project, which is one of those partnerships, you know, you got academia involved, private industry involved, um, and the government. And we're trying to unlock, right. you know, can we take these hot, you know, formations that don't necessarily have water sit down there and, in, and complete them, drill them, complete them. So bringing in our oil field knowledge to the geothermal world and uh, complete these hot rocks and introduce water and just start cycling water and they um you know they just get the heat from the rock and then they spin a turbine and now we have electricity and now we have electricity absolutely wherever you can right. drill that well wherever you can complete that and well yep hot dry rock into exactly. electricity right just, just add water. water on it and then it just becomes a cyclical process mm -hmm. right so right, right. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a huge um, contribution um, that the oil and gas sector is making in terms of uh, increasing uh, energy options. Um, geothermal. You can if you can maintain right. that control, right? Actually, drill the well where you want it, and actually uh, be able to um, keep it on production. Uh, and then sort of, I don't want to say cold, closed loop, but just continue to cycle uh, the water through the reservoir and take advantage of that natural heat, that unending natural heat, right? Because it comes from the core and heats up uh, up to the surface, if you will. And, and that's a, a, a new opportunity for transferring petroleum engineering skills as the experts in subsurface to another sector that doesn't have an industry to the extent that our worldwide uh, oil and gas uh, industry is. And, uh, and and just sort of transfer those skills, gives new life to the degrees that young people are, are getting now in petroleum yes. engineering, uh, redefining upstream uh, more in terms of uh, up subsurface, from upstream to subsurface, I guess, is the, is the way to put it. And then expanding the, the um, uh, definition of upstream, if you will, beyond oil and gas, beyond geothermal, to carbon storage. So, I mean, this yeah. is just a real exciting time to be a petroleum engineer. And um, the government is very interested in seeing a transfer of those skills. The Energy Policy Act of 2020 uh, created a, uh, included a mandate for the geothermal program at the Department of Energy to take a, uh, a very formalized step in attracting uh, petroleum engineers and oil-skilled uh, people, oil work, oil field workers, uh, into the geothermal uh, arena, and uh, and it's a very exciting. It, time it is, but so you're in part of. Yes, board, so I'm on the um, stat advisory board for the um, uh, Utah Forge project right now. So it's myself, uh, George King, and Carl Montgomery, the three of us, looking at how the wells are being completed and giving them suggestions and um, oversight on it. So it's, it's an exciting time, excellent, excellent. and really the thing I've learned over my years in the oil industry is if there's a problem, somebody in this oil and gas industry can solve it. We just have to put focus to it, and we will we will solve Absolutely. the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's an industry that's fairly conservative in terms of trying new technologies, but then again, it's the first to crack a nut. On something mm-hmm. that you you really don't know how to do, and and creative solutions, um, and then a refinement of those solutions to be to where they become commercial and and able to uh, move forward. I, I remember the days of not having a uh, personal computer, of having a uh, to share a terminal on a mainframe to kind of look at statistics, and now you're talking about an app that uh, uploads data from all of the right. data. Uh, from that intersection of that natural system with the engineered system that we called hydraulic fracturing and doing analyses on that. That's very, very exciting, very exciting work. Be, here, we're, we're getting close to time, Karen, but tell us about your, your career with the Society of Petroleum Engineers. I mean, you are, you are real, you're, you're famous in, in SPE. So talk to us about you know, your various uh, positions. You, you won an award um, for environmental sustainability uh, through SPE. Talk, tell us about your SPE well, career, if you will. In fact, that's yeah, where we that's met. That's right. We met. We <laughs> met at the, um, at the conference, right? The ATC. Ertec. It was Ertec. Yeah, when I gave you that I Love Fracking Yeah, book. yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right, which I still oh, have I on my shelf. I don't know if you can so. see it over my head. Um, <laughs> well, right. 
When I was in graduate stu a student at Texas A&M, um, my advisor, who was Dr. John Lee, um, he just made, he would make this speech to us that it was part of our duty to give back to the industry. And he said that, and we were, we were required to write an SPE paper and present it, you know, get it. Um, and so I wrote an SPE paper on, um, actually it was on, somebody tried to do some flowback well testing up on the Devonian Shale and the Marcellus. And anyway, um, so he just ingrained in us that it was our job to give back to society and that we should be involved with SPE and, um, and that we should write papers, um, even on the, you know, even on the failures. He said, you know, writing papers on the failures is probably more important than writing papers on, you know, the successes, because he goes, everybody wants to write a paper on the successes. So um, when I went out, took a job with mobile, um, I started just going to the SP luncheons and that the local sections had, and um, I got asked if I wanted to help, and I said, sure, what can I do to help? And so I just started off as um, like a study group um, chair for a study group. And I did that, and then I became the program chair, and I just sort of moved my way up, and then I became the chair of the section. And then just every time I moved, I would just, you know, try to get involved and help. And anytime I would do a project, I would try to write a paper on it. Um, so, yeah. And so, you know, when I went international, it was easier. I started getting involved with the um, conferences, in the international conferences, you know, just helping with them. And, and then when I came back to the U.S., um, uh, Dr. Holditch called me up and asked me if I would, he said, he goes, I have this idea. He goes, I want to have a conference on hydraulic fracturing. And um, SPE didn't think it would be a go. They didn't think there was enough people interested in it. But Steve was adamant. He goes, no, we're going to do this. And he goes, I want you to be on my committee. So I was on the first committee with Steve, and uh, Joe was on that committee as well. And we had our first hydraulic fracturing conference in College Station. And we had over 800 people show up, and we didn't have enough room for everybody. So, so this is the SPE hydraulic yes. fracturing conference that comes up January, every February year. time for yeah. every year? Oh, how exciting. Well, thank and you for doing that. That's a fabulous so, And conference. that's my favorite conference of the year is the frac conference because i feel like i see all my friends and get caught up and uh get to hear what the latest technologies what's everybody doing these days and um yeah it's a it's it's and it's just right here in the woodlands here in houston um so yes yeah, so i was the chair for the hydraulic fracturing conference i think 2013 to 16 if i remember right and um, i went off the committee for a few years and i'm back on the committee so we're going to have a great, um, another great conference uh, this year. The, the exhibit space is sold out. Um, we're going to have a reception the night before. Um, we're going to have sort of cocktails with the new legends. So um, Dr. John Lee, who's my advisor and who yeah. I always thank every time I see him um, for my the career I have, I really thank him because it all really started with him and Holditch and Associates. Um, He's going to be honored as one of the legends. 
Oh, yeah, him how and, wonderful. Uh, uh, Dr. Solomon Excellent. from the University of Houston. So we're going to have cocktails with the legends that Monday night. Um, so I'll be talking to them. And um, so if anybody want to join us, that'll be, I believe that's January 30th. Is that Monday night right before the FRAC conference starts? Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, and I just try to get back and uh, I got nominated to be the completions technical director, which was, um, I find it very um, humbling to work with such a great group of smart people that just want to give back, you know, to us. Well, Karen, I, I see you as being a legend someday as well. Your career has been fabulous. Tell us really quickly about the Environmental Sustainability Award. What, what, tell us about the award. What's that was, the, that was um, the, I received the first year that it was given out, which I, it was 2019, I, I received that award. Um, when I was working at Southwestern Energy, we had an initiative that I was the director of that we called Freshwater Neutral. And this was our initiative where we said that we were going to um, give back for every barrel of fresh water that we used in our operations, we were going to give back a barrel of fresh water to that basin that we used that you know water in for our operations. And so we we I had a small team. There was only five of us on the team. Um, fun team. So a hoot. I had a, a conservation specialist on my team. Had a master's in um, marine and wildlife, and he started as a he was a like a roughneck roughneck on one of our rigs. And then people realized that he really knew a lot about water, and so then he he went on the water team doing permits. And then we snagged him and put him on our team, and um, so we did these great projects. Um, like uh, we helped the state of West Virginia clean up the Cheat River which had been destroyed back in, um, I believe, in 1982 when the side of a coal mine um, slid off the mountain and all the heavy metals mm. and all the gunk from the coal mines you know, mm. went into the river and just killed the river. And this was a primary artery mm. running through West Virginia where there was, like, tourists on the river, rafting. All of that just was destroyed. Oh. And the state oh, of West Virginia put in a treatment plant over this coal mine to treat the water and get the heavy metals out. And then they would just store the sludge into these sock tubes and it would go into the coal mine. And that got that was going to get rid of about 50% of the acid mine water out of the river. The rest of the um, acid mine water was flowing from the hills. So the hills of West Virginia, they were flowing in... So what we did um, was we put in a pipeline system to capture the rest of that acid mine water and take it to their treatment plant. And so, you know, we're, I believe they're treating about 30 million barrels of water a year, and we brought them 15 million barrels of water on there wow. annually Wow. on there. And to clean mm -hmm. up the Cheat River, um, we've uh, removed dams. I, you don't realize how dangerous dams are. But there's a lot of old dams across the U.S. that were built like in the early 1900s, you know, just for water storage for towns. Right. And now usually they have, right. you know, wells and other treatment plants. So these old dams um, oh. are hazards. People do dumb things like try to walk across them and then they fall. 
slipped, hit their heads. Oh. Anyway, there's that's another story. Yeah. But anyway, we removed a, a dam also in um, West Virginia. It was just an earthen dam with timbers, but it also blocked the fish, fish passage. You know, the fish oh. couldn't go down the stream because of these dams. And we removed three of these dams, and we restored the natural flow of the river. And who knew a completion engineer would get thrilled to see a fish come over her iPhone? You know, I got a text going, we have trout. So it had been the first time in over 100 years trout had been able to go down that stream. Oh, my gosh. So it was projects oh, like wow. that that wow. um, is why yeah. I was, you know, won the award. But it was really for the whole team. It was for all of us that, you know, we won that award. How exciting. How exciting. Oh, Karen, this has been delightful talking with you. Oh, my goodness. We're going to have to have you back and you can tell us some more of these great stories and contributions that you've been um, working on over the course of your career. And we seem to know a lot of the same people. So that, that's really cool. Hopefully, as well. I'll see you at the frat so, conference. We get caught up. That's right. Yeah. Maybe you'll let me, you'll, maybe you'll let me come and do a podcast from the, from the conference and we'll interview some more people there. So, so Karen Olson of Olson Turner Enterprises and Well Data Labs Incorporated. Thank you so much for being our guest today and for sharing all about your contributions to upstream oil and gas and geothermal now. We so appreciate you being on the show. Elena, thank you so much for having me on the show today, and it's been great talking with you. Oh, so much fun, Karen. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please give us a review and tell us what you'd like to hear more about in the future, uh, future podcasts. This is Elena Melker, your host for Oil & Gas Upstream. More next time. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Upstream podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.